Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Democrats move ahead with their Senate impeachment trial for former President Trump. The Biden administration and media push endless COVID panic in spite of the science, and Bidenomics means firing cash cannons at Americans. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like big tech and the government spying on you? Visit expressvpn.com. Slash Ben, we're going to get to all the news of the day in just one moment. First, a quick reminder, you're spending way too much money on that cell phone bill, like a lot, a lot too much money on that cell phone bill. Instead, you should be using Pure Talk USA. Over a thousand of you, my extremely wise listeners, have made the switch from your overpriced wireless carrier to Pure Talk over the past couple of months. What exactly are the rest of you waiting for? If you're with AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get the same great coverage because they use the exact same towers as one of the big carriers. You can even keep your phone and your number, but you will save a fortune. By the way, Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best customer service team based right here in the United States. And here's the best part. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. And here's the thing. If you go over on that data, well, they're not going to charge you for it. So what exactly do you have to lose? Grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you'll save 50% off your very first month. Dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pure Talk USA is simply smarter wireless. Go check them out right now. Dial pound 250, say my name, Ben Shapiro, for 50% off your very first month. Okay, so today, the Senate of the United States, led by Chuck Schumer, should have been led by Mitch McConnell, but now it's led by Chuck Schumer, is going to start the consideration on the conviction of President Trump for the impeachment charge that was brought against him by the House of Representatives. Remember that single impeachment charge essentially suggested that Trump was responsible for inciting a riot at the Capitol building on January 6th. That was the main part of the impeachment charge. There were other ancillary parts, like his earlier call with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, but the main part of the charge is that he was personally responsible for the incitement of the violence that happened on January 6th. Now, the big problem with that charge is really that he is not by any legal definition responsible for incitement. And it's very difficult to make the claim that he is responsible for incitement because of the colorful language that he used in the months leading up to January 6th, but that other politicians who use similarly colorful language are not also guilty of incitement when violence breaks out from people who agree with them. This is the biggest flaw in the entire Democratic argument with regard to impeachment. Now, there are some Republicans who voted for impeachment in the House. There are cases that Trump had abused his power, that he'd been lying about the results of the election, that he'd been telling lies about voter irregularity and voter fraud and whipping people into a frenzy, and that it was sort of a foreseeable effect of that, that something bad would happen. But again, the wording of the incitement charge is pretty specific. 
And beyond that, there is no neutral standard that applies across the board when it comes to an impeachable offense on the basis of this fact pattern. And that is the case that Trump's defense is making. So we're going to get to what Trump's defense looks like because that's going to start rolling out today. The trial actually begins with a four-hour debate today on the constitutionality of bringing an impeachment charge against a person who is no longer in office. Remember, he is former President Trump. He is not actually President Trump. And frankly, if you wanted what was best for the country, I think there's a solid case to be made that the country is better off just kind of moving on. And the reason I say that is not because Trump shouldn't bear the political consequences of of what he wrought over the couple of months after the election. I think he is going to bear those political consequences in whatever way the American public sees fit to bring those consequences. I mean, the number one consequence of his behavior over the past four years is that he's no longer president of the United States. The simple fact of the matter is, if he had been as silent on social media during his presidency as he has been since he was banned from social media in the aftermath of January 6th, he would probably still be president. So it's not as though consequences have not attended to Trump's behavior. And the people who actually engaged in violence, those people will be tracked down. Those people will be brought to trial. Those people will spend time in jail, as well they should. And if Democrats are ever willing to bring forth evidence of their most outrageous allegations, which is that there are members of Congress who are complicit in the attack, well, then members of Congress will end up in jail. But when it comes to the question of whether it is good for the country as a broad matter for us to be relitigating Trump's presidency after he lost an election in November, or whether we ought to be focused on, you know, the crises at hand, namely COVID, the economy, and all the rest. I think that increasingly, if the, the, there's a reason both Democrats and Republicans want to move fast on this thing. Republicans want to move fast on it because they think that it's basically just political gamesmanship, which is correct. And Democrats want to move fast on this thing because I think they recognize that if this drags out for weeks and weeks, Americans are just going to get tired of it. Because this is what happens with virtually every impeachment trial. At the very beginning of the impeachment trial over Ukraine. Americans were largely supportive of impeaching Trump by polling data. And then as the thing continued, Americans were like, what are we doing again? Why are we doing this again? What? Seriously? And you're going to get that even more now because at least at that point, Trump was president. Now Trump's just some guy golfing in Mar-a-Lago. So the the idea for most Americans that we should be expending enormous quantities of time and not only time, by the way, cash, you know, we're going to spend five hundred million taxpayer dollars, 500 million taxpayer dollars to have troops all over Washington, D.C. during this Senate impeachment trial. You know that? Now, honestly, I would love to hear members of the law enforcement community explain just why we need a completely militarized D.C. right now. Because there's been no violence since January 6th. That's not to say there couldn't be. That's not to say that maybe they don't have evidence that we haven't seen. But Governor DeSantis in Florida, Governor Abbott in Texas, they already brought home their National Guard contingent. They're like, um, we're not seeing a ton of fomenting violence. We're not seeing giant rallies outside the Senate today. So why exactly are we spending 500 million taxpayer dollars to keep Washington, D.C. in a state of military lockdown? I mean, just on the face of it, it's kind of bizarre. So here is how the trial is going to roll out today. According to The Hill, Senate leadership announced on Monday they've reached a deal on the framework for former President Trump's impeachment trial It'll start today. For the information of the Senate, the Republican leader and I, in consultation with both the House managers and former President Trump's lawyers, have agreed to a bipartisan resolution to govern the structure and timing of the impending trial, said Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Apparently, they confirmed on the right side of the aisle that this was happening. The timeline would allow the trial to wrap up as early as next week if both sides agree not to call witnesses. And this is the big question right now, is whether the sides are going to call witnesses. Under the current deal, the Senate is going to debate and vote today on whether the trial is constitutional, the effort to declare the trial unconstitutional will fall short. Rand Paul forced to, vote, forced to vote on this issue late last month. 44 Republican senators supported that particular effort. There are very few Republicans who sided with the idea that it was constitutional. Now, that was an easy procedural way out. 
Now, there are some Republicans who are making the case it's not constitutional to push forward with this. Tom Cotton from Arkansas is one of those. Here's Senator Cotton explaining the constitutional case against convicting a president of an impeachable offense after he's already left office. I think it's beyond the Senate's constitutional authority to have an impeachment proceeding, the point of which is to convict and remove from office a man who left office three weeks ago. I think it's also a, a set of misplaced priorities. The Democrats continue to obsess about Donald Trump when Donald Trump left office and went to Florida three weeks ago when the Senate should be focused on things like how to expand vaccine production and distribute it more quickly. Those are the priorities the American people want us to focus on, not an inquest into who is now a private citizen. It's an interesting constitutional debate on the right side of the aisle. Basically, the Republicans who say that it's unconstitutional to push forward with this, that's people like Tom Cotton or Rand Paul, their case is that it is an impeachment trial. The purpose of an impeachment trial is to remove from office a person who apparently is now already out of office. So what exactly is the point? And on the other side of the aisle, there are people who say, yes, he was impeached in the House, but the conviction is still part of the process. That happens in the Senate. And one of the possibilities is barring somebody from running for office in the future on the basis of a Senate conviction. So here's Pat Toomey, who's a Republican senator from Pennsylvania, making the opposite case. You did have, um, uh, you know, 45 Republican senators vote to suggest that they didn't think it was appropriate to conduct a trial. So you can infer how likely it is that those folks will vote to convict. Um, I disagreed with their assessment. I think it is constitutional. I think it's clearly constitutional to conduct a Senate trial with respect to an impeachment, in this case, the impeachment occurred prior to the president's leaving office. Okay, so how is this actually going to roll out? The way that this is actually going to roll out is the opening arguments then start on Wednesday. So under the current deal, the House impeachment managers and Trump's team will have 16 hours over two days each to present their case to the Senate, which is actually a faster pace than the first Trump trial. Both sides got 24 hours in that Trump trial. At that point, Chuck Schumer was like, we're rushing this thing even now because Mitch McConnell was in charge. Now, Chuck Schumer wants to rush this thing so much that both sides get 16 hours to present their case. And you can bet money that if the Democrats start calling witnesses, like if they start calling up AOC to testify to how terrified she was in the building that was, you know, 0.3 miles away from the Capitol building protected by police and was never under assault from rioters, if they want to call people like AOC, then you can certainly bet Republicans will then call AOC to rebut AOC and ask her about her own violent language with regard to Republicans and riots and all of the rest. The, the way this is going to work is if one side opens that can of worms with regard to impeachment witnesses, you can bet the other side certainly will as well. The deal does leave open the, the door to calling witnesses. The House impeachment managers previously invited Trump to testify under oath. His attorneys rejected that because if you are Trump's attorney, the last thing you ever want is Donald Trump in a legal proceeding saying anything. It is the worst job in the world being Donald Trump's attorney. You can tell because of the churn. I mean, seriously, that is a bad job because the first rule of lawyering is that you get your client to shut up. And then you are the one who is the mouthpiece for your client. But that is not Donald Trump's forte, is, is shutting up. And so being Donald Trump's lawyer is always difficult. Although there are reports out today that Donald Trump, shockingly, has finally learned that actually his best PR tactic may be to not say things. Apparently, he's like off on the golf courses and people around him are telling him, you know, people are still paying attention to you. And you using your social media sparingly as opposed to using it like, you know, just word vomit. Like that, that's actually uh, an effective tactic. And Trump seems to have learned that, which is why he's making so few public statements. Would to God that he had learned that in the first year of his presidency. Both sides are going to end up with two hours for closing arguments. Chuck Schumer says, as in previous trials, there will be equal time for senator questions and for closing arguments and an opportunity for the Senate to hold deliberations if it so chooses. And then we're going to vote on the articles of impeachment. So that is the procedure as, as it is going to play out in a second. We're going to get to what the content is likely to be in the actual Senate trial for President Trump on this impeachment charge. First, 
let us talk about the fact that if you are not getting enough sleep, sometimes you need an extra kick in the butt in the morning to get yourself going. So I didn't sleep a lot night before last. Last night, my kids got me up at all hours. My daughter got up at four o'clock in the morning because she couldn't fall asleep. That means I was exhausted this morning. And then, and then I started drinking my Black Rifle coffee. Kickstart your year, your day, and chase your goals with the most delicious, most liberating coffee known to man. We're talking, of course, about Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love the country. Veteran CEO and founder, Evan Hafer spent over seven years on the ground overseas with U.S. Special Forces and as a CIA contractor. Evan even modified his gun trucks during the invasion of Iraq to grind coffee anywhere. BRCC is continually committed to supporting veteran, law enforcement, and first responder causes. With the company's Buy a Bag, Give a Bag campaign, they make sure to give the gift of America's coffee to people serving around the globe. In 2020, they donated over 6 million cups of coffee. Now, the best way to enjoy Black Rifle Coffee Company coffee is through the Coffee Club. That is a free subscription where your chosen coffee is roasted, packaged, shipped free to your door on your schedule. In addition to the convenience, you receive special discounted pricing and you gain access to exclusive products, member-only content, partner discounts, and more. You get the freshest coffee in the country without leaving the couch. I know the dudes who run BRCC. It is a fantastic company and the coffee is just awesome. Go to blackriflecoffee.com Shapiro. Get 20% off your purchase. Start your first coffee club order. That is blackriflecoffee.com slash Shapiro, blackriflecoffee.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so what exactly is the content likely to be? Well, from the Democrats, what you're likely to hear is how terrified they personally were and also all of their other arguments, which is that the riots were white supremacy, Trump is a white supremacist. You're likely to hear about how close we were to losing our democracy in the words of Representative Jackie Spire from California, Democrat. She says, you know, we have to hear during this trial how close we were to losing our democracy. Now, let's be frank about this. We were not close to losing our democracy. We weren't. I mean, we just weren't. As a factual matter, a bunch of yahoos, idiot criminal yahoos, evil yahoos running into the Capitol building and putting their feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk. It's ugly and it's terrible and it's bad and it's horrible for the country. That was not us being close to losing our democracy. You know what losing a democracy looks like? It sort of looks like what happens in countries all over the world when the military just marches into presidential palaces and starts arresting officials, right? That's what it looks like. At no point was this a coup. A coup is not a bunch of idiots dressed in buffalo horns running into a government building and sitting in somebody's chair. That is not a coup. By the way, it's not even a coup if somebody goes and tries to murder members of Congress. That is an act of evil, a criminal act of evil. Okay, by the way, we've seen it before. Okay, it is not even it is not even a coup when, God forbid, a president is assassinated. We've had that in American history before. That's not a coup either. A coup, specifically speaking, is when one regime is exchanged for a more legitimate regime through the mechanisms of institutional power generally. Right? That's when you have the military that intervenes on the behest of one political party, for example, and then ousts a sitting democratic democratically elected person, for example. That is the nature of a coup. This was not a coup. We were not close to losing our democracy. How not close were we to losing our democracy? Within hours of these morons jumping into the Capitol building to make trouble and videotape themselves for their, for their Instagram. Congress was back in session ratifying the election and making Joe Biden the president of the United States. So yeah, we were not close to a coup. But again, the, the lie has... The, what's amazing is that you don't actually have to do this. I mean, seriously, Democrats don't have to do this. I said this the day of. This could have been a unifying moment that lies are bad and people believing lies is really bad. And people then acting on those lies to do violent and terrible damage is really, really bad. We can all be on the same side of all those questions. But instead, it's, well, you know, Donald Trump tried to launch a coup and he, he almost he was barely thwarted. No, he wasn't. He was not barely thwarted. You know how I know he wasn't he wasn't barely thwarted? Because on January 20th, he didn't attend the inauguration and Joe Biden became president of the United States. So that's how I know he wasn't barely thwarted. It's just 
The exaggeration is, is unnecessary. And it really does demonstrate that what this really is about for a lot of folks, as always, is the PR. Right? We have a Congress that doesn't actually do anything for a living. We have a Congress that tweets things and goes on cable news. They have the same job that I do, except that I'm not paid by taxpayer money. Nor am I your elected representative. Right? We have a Congress that does not pass bills. We have a Congress that does not negotiate. We have a Congress that does nothing, except every once in a while, they, they vote on some giant omnibus spending package. They toss all power over to the executive branch. A bunch of unelected bureaucrats govern your life. And then Congress goes on Twitter and talks jack about other people. That's, that's pretty much what Congress does for a living these days. So here's Jackie Spire doing just that. Again, I, I, there's no wonder why people hate the American legislature. There's a reason. The legislature does not legislate. Our elected officials do not represent us. All they do all day long is just yell on cable news for power. It's pretty crazy. I intend, to, like so many of my colleagues, to um, put into um, words that every American can hear for decades to come how close we came to losing our democracy. This is a man that intended to overtake this government. And it's astonishing to me that so few of my colleagues on the Republican side, even after witnessing that, even after being part of that insurrection, are unwilling to do their jobs and protect the Constitution and protect the, the democracy. Okay, again, the, the democracy was not under threat. Okay, there were people who were, who were threatening to do bad things. At no point was the institutional democracy of the United States under threat. To pretend otherwise is to ignore the realities on the ground. The military would not have participated in anything like that. Republican members of Congress voted to ratify the election. Vice President Pence was the vice president under Donald Trump, lest we forget. He was the person leading the ratification. Mitch McConnell was the head of the Senate. Like, all of this overwrought hysteria is, in fact, overwrought hysteria. I'm not saying it's hysteria to have been worried or concerned or freaked out at what happened at the Capitol. It is overwrought hysteria to say that America was on the brink of turning into a dictatorship on January 6th. That's just silly. It's silly. On its face, it's silly. In just a second, we're going to get to more silly, because, again, this is really not about anything to do with Trump. It's really just about the, the PR that you can that you can use in order to foment your own rise to power in the future via social media, mainly. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about a way that you can be feeling better after you go for a workout. So I, as you can tell from this, this godlike body, I work out incessantly. I mean, it's a thing that I love to do. And you know what I get? I get a lot of this nagging muscle pain, sometimes joint pain. I'll get cramping or back aches. Well, if you are looking to get rid of all that immediately while providing yourself with long-lasting recovery, you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFreeze Sport Roll-On, developed by Omax Health. Our friends over at Omax they have a new sport formulation. It includes a deeply penetrating potent punch of 8.5% of FDA-approved menthol levels to instantly ice out and block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part? This 100% natural remedy works its magic within five minutes of application. Relief. Lasts up to eight hours, which is a lot longer than other over-the-counter products. You're immediately going to feel less stiffness and more mobility. Right now, Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze Sport Pain Relief Roll-On. I will tell you, I've used this, and it does work. It really does work. And for me, it's made a big difference. The discount also applies toward any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today. Enter code BEN. That is omaxhealth.com. Enter code BEN to get 20% off CryoFreeze Sport and site-wide. Again, it is great for athletes. It's great for active people, people with injuries. You've got nagging problems. You probably qualify as somebody who could use cryo-freeze sport and it works within five minutes of application. 
and it'll last for eight hours. Go to omaxhelp.com, enter code BEN to get 20% off cryo-free sport and site-wide. I'm telling you, the product is the real deal. Head on over to omaxhelp.com, enter code BEN to get 20% off the entire site. Alrighty, so again, what this trial is really about for the Democrats is ratcheting up the amount of ire at Republicans more generally, which is why you see Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez clinging to the patently absurd notion that Ted Cruz tried to have her murdered. Because the goal here is not to castigate Trump for the lies that he told about the election in the aftermath of the election. The goal of this is to castigate all Republicans who she doesn't like. All of them. Because, listen, I was not a fan of what Ted Cruz did in objecting to electors. But does that mean that Ted Cruz was trying to kill Alexander Ocasio-Cortez? Of course not. And everybody knows this. This hysterical nonsense is hysterical nonsense. Here's Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Again, this is supposed to be the Congress that is representing us and is going to do the people's work, sure. Or alternatively, they're just a bunch of, they're just a bunch of complete nincompoops on social media who are putting out, who are putting out tweets and, and, and little videos for lols. Here, there's no difference between the memesters who drove up the GameStop stock and our Congress members at this point, except that the people who are on Reddit are are significantly more clever and funny, I think is is basically what I'm coming away with here. Here Here's Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the respected, wonderful congressperson from New York, leader of the Democratic Party. Tweeting that he tried, he tried to have you murdered at Capitol, the okay. Capitol right? So um, that's not the quote, okay. and um, and now, I will you, not apologize for what I said. That, I think we're actually done this morning. Thank okay. you. That's not the quote. That's not the quote. That is the exact. That that is the quote. I mean, the actual tweet that she sent said that Ted Cruz tried to have her murdered at the Capitol. I mean, come on, come on. Meanwhile, Ayanna Presley, the Ringo star of the squad. She was on national TV suggesting that January 6th was about white supremacy. See, all the narratives get forwarded by every individual instance. It's, it's a thing about politics that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it's so irritating. It's, re- it's really just a point of high irritation. There are a bunch of preset narratives. Facts very often do not fit into those narratives. And most people are unwilling to shift their narrative even after the facts disprove the narrative. January 6th, there is so little evidence that it had anything to do with race. Like seriously, is there, what is the evidence that it had to do with race specifically? as opposed to being about people who were just pissed that Trump had lost the election for a wide variety of reasons. And yet somehow it was about white supremacy to Ayanna Presley because she thinks literally everything on earth fits into the white supremacy narrative. Student loan, that, that student loan issues, those are a white supremacy narrative. Housing, it's about white supremacy. And of course, January 6th, about white supremacy. When everything is about white supremacy, then you have now bought into a false narrative and you are using that false narrative as a cudgel to wield against your political enemies, which is ugly stuff. Here's Ayanna Presley doing that. As a black woman, to be barricaded in my office using office furniture and water bottles on the ground, in the dark, that terror, those moments of terror, is familiar in a deep and ancestral way for me. And I want us to do everything to ensure that a breach like this never occurs at the Capitol, but I want us to address the evil and scourge that is white supremacy in this nation. The hell is she talking about? I mean, really, what the hell is she talking about? The majority of members of Congress are white. The majority of them are white. They were also hiding in their in their. Uh, Mitch McConnell is the whitest person to ever white. Mitch McConnell was hiding in his office. I mean, it, they, all, all of this stuff is it's so stupid. Our politics is just so stupid. I, I've like run out of patience with the stupidity of our politics. It's unreal how stupid our politics is. Okay, so Trump's response to all of this is a very long trial memorandum test, 78-page trial memorandum talking about the charges against him. It's sort of a mix 
of decent argumentation together with a bunch of Trumpian flourishes because of Trump looks because, of course, Trump is going to look over the final document. And so it references Trump derangement syndrome on like the very first page of the trial memorandum. What Trump's team understands is that this is all just a PR effort, that the the trial is not about holding him legally responsible. He, he is not going to be held legally responsible via conviction in the Senate. It's just not going to happen. They don't have the votes and everybody knows it. So that means that Trump's team is basically going to present the countervailing case. And the countervailing case, according to the memorandum, is pretty obvious, which is Trump didn't incite anything on January 6th, that by all available evidence, the action was pre-planned, which is correct, by the way. Right? Virtually everyone has already reported that the this that this was pre-planned. Apparently, you know, the Democrats had started their impeachment effort before they'd even conducted an investigation. That during the actual during the actual rally before the riots, Trump talked about peacefully protesting at the Capitol building. That the riots started in the middle of his speech. Right, they didn't actually start after his speech. It wasn't like he finished and then they went over. They started in the middle of his speech. Now critics are saying, "Oh yeah, he'd already said the inflammatory part." All right, but he called for peaceful protest in the speech. I know we're all trying to avoid that, but that happens to be a fact. Okay, it's on tape, and they are correct. Law enforcement had reports of a potential attack on the Capitol several days before Trump's speech itself which suggests that it was not the speech that actually triggered the violent events of January 6th. You can say that Trump's rhetoric contributed to the attitude of the people who stormed the Capitol, but if the, if the argument is incitement, that means that you incited the violence with the speech of January 6th, that's the impeachment charge. And so all of those are fairly good defenses, and those will be brought to bear. The Democrats, the, the, the more rabid Democrats are saying that they want to bring witnesses I think they're unlikely to do so. They're going to get what they want to get out of this thing. They'll get all the headlines they want, and then we'll all move on. But does this have anything to do in reality? Like making the country a better place at this point? No. Trump's out of office. Presumably, he will remain out of office. Uh, And all Democrats are doing, the real reason they're focusing on Trump is because they don't want him to go away. That's the reality. Democrats and the media do not want Trump to go away. They want Trump there so they can use him as a foil. Without Trump there as a foil, they have to find some other Republican like Marjorie Taylor Greene, a first-term backbencher from Georgia that they can use as the face of all Republican evil. So they're going to try and keep this alive as long as possible. The American people are bored with it, and I think they're going to want to move on ASAP. Okay, in just one second, we are going to get to everything COVID-related because the team of science ain't following the science. First, let us talk about the simple fact that you value your hair. I know you do. I value my hair too. And now there's a one-stop shop for hair loss and wellness in men. It's time to write a new chapter, one in which you actually have hair. Thanks to science, baldness can now be optional. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed medical providers and FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. We're not talking about like snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. Hims was created by a dude who knows some men's health conversations are easier online than in person. No more awkward in-person doctor's visits or long pharmacy lines for Hims connects you to licensed medical professionals online. It could save you hours. Completely confidential. It's discreet. You answer a few quick questions, a medical professional reviews, and then if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss. It's shipped directly to your door. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. Right now, my listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Head on over to forhims.com slash Ben. That is forhims.com slash Ben. Prescription products require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions do apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that is forhims.com slash Ben. Forhims.com slash Ben. Get your first visit absolutely free and get those issues worked out, including baldness. Go check it out right now, forhims.com slash Ben. Okay, so meanwhile, the COVID numbers in the United States are actually getting significantly better. COVID cases are now at their lowest level since October. 
which is definitely a good thing. They've dropped precipitously since the beginning of the year. When it comes to deaths, deaths are also startling, starting to level off in the United States and drop. Some of that is due to vaccination. A lot of that is due to the fact that we've seen this pattern before. Basically, you have variants of COVID or, or waves of COVID. They burn through a community. They run out of people to burn through. And then they, and then they wane. So hopefully by the time we move forward with this thing, by the time the next variant hits, a lot of people are vaccinated. That'd be great. And we are rolling out vaccines at a fast pace. And that is largely thanks to the Trump administration, which the Biden administration has denied over and over and over again. And yet we are still hearing this sort of panicked tone from our media. It's all panic all day, all the time from our media. Because there has to be some bogeyman that Team Biden can use in order to jack through their agenda. Right? To understand that the Biden team, when it comes to their economic plans, those economic plans are not in a vacuum popular. If it were not, for, the, for, for COVID, first of all, Trump probably would have been reelected if it were not for COVID. The economy was just too good. But if it were not for COVID, do you think Americans would be on board with spending $1.9 trillion with AT? Do you think Americans would be on board with a $15 national minimum wage, which is more than significant percentages of people in less wealthy states earn? Like, do, do, you think that that's, do you think that that makes a lot of sense? People would not be up for this. A lot of the Biden agenda rests on the specter of COVID in the, in the background. And so they're going to continue to play this thing up. And they will do so in hypocritical fashion. It'll be the media and the Democratic Party doing this. And so you'll end up with a CNN reporter looking at Tampa. And I was down in Tampa, or up in Tampa, rather, uh, for, for the Super Bowl. And there were a lot of people who were unmasked in Tampa. I mean, that is true. It is also true that in the actual Super Bowl stadium, because you had to, everybody was masked up. But these CNN reporters are very selective in when they get outraged about lack of masks. If it's happening in New York, they're really not all that concerned about it. If it's happening in Florida, they are super concerned about it, despite the fact that Florida has performed admirably, given the fact that Florida has by far the oldest population in America. Not close. But here is a CNN reporter absolutely aghast at the fact that there were young people who are healthy, not wearing masks in Tampa. Let me show you a scene from last night in an area called Ybor City. We have some video to show you. You can see on the streets of Ybor City this massive crowd. Again, not many of them wearing a mask. This is a very popular spot where uh, people go to bars and restaurants. There were some police there, uh, but we're unsure about citations. I, sp I spoke to the Tampa police and I asked them, what are you doing about this? Because a lot of people were very concerned. Okay, there's one thing that you will notice, primarily above all, uh, in these crowds. There's not a person over 30. I mean, if, if you look at these pictures, you cannot spot a person over the age of 30 years old in these, in these pictures. So the, the very basic notion that this poses like a massive health risk to the United States because a bunch of 25-year-olds are walking around without masks. 25-year-olds are not dying of COVID. So unless they're going home and they're infecting granny, this really is not a huge issue, frankly. Because again, 25-year-olds not dying of COVID. Nonetheless, this drove Tampa, when I say not time, like in massive numbers or in outsized numbers, just to be very specific for the idiot fact checkers who don't understand the English language or how it works. Okay, the reality is there are a few people who are 25 who will die of COVID. It is vastly disproportionate to the actual number of people who are at risk from COVID. Okay, here is Tampa's mayor, Jane Castor. She saw the CNN report, obviously. And now she's like, everybody who is maskless at the Super Bowl is going to be identified by law enforcement. Yes, this sounds like a, a tremendous use of resources. Uh, my favorite part of this is the cop standing directly behind her who's got the mask on under his nose. You know, we, we had tens of thousands of people all over the city, downtown, out by the stadium, Ybor City, uh, down here in Channel Side, and very, very few incidents. So I'm proud of our community. 
but uh, those few bad actors uh, will be identified and the Tampa Police Department will handle it. Now, the media want to sort of have it both ways because one of the things that has been happening and it is a reality is that populations mask up or associate at different rates. So you've seen that the media are very, very down on Orthodox Jews in New York and New Jersey, right? They've been very down on them since the beginning of the pandemic. And I think there's some justification to the idea that if you're getting together in closed spaces without masks, and then you are transmitting the virus at high rates, that has to do with personal behavior. But the media completely ignore that when it comes to people who are also getting the virus at disproportionate rates. At no point have they suggested, for example, that disproportionate rates of COVID in the black community in New York, which is a thing, that maybe that has to do with personal behavior as well. Right? It's either, it's either personal behavior or systemic racism for each. But the way that it works is if a bunch of Jews get it in New York, that is called personal behavior. And if a bunch of black folks get it in New York, then it is all about systemic racism is the way that this works. Well, now you have the New York Times justifying black people refusing to get the vaccine. Now, if this were a bunch of white people refusing to get the vaccine, it would be about QAnon and Trump support, right? But Charles Blow over at the New York Times has an entire piece about why it is that many black Americans are not getting the vaccine and he's attempting to justify or excuse it, which is crazy, okay? Because the people who need the vaccine the most, presumably, are the people who are getting it at the highest rates. This is what we have been told and the people getting it that are getting it at the highest rates are people of color in the United States. So why would you be making excuses for people opting out of that? But that's, that's exactly, this is like the fifth editorial from the New York Times making this case. He, he says that black Americans are justified in not getting the vaccine because they don't trust the government, which is a weird way for, that, that's, a, that's a weird argument given that black Americans are voting in a 92 to eight clip for a party that wants to expand the size, scope and reach of government. If you don't trust the government, it seems like a weird indicator how much you distrust the government to vote for the party that vows to expand it in every area of your life. Yeah, but in any case, here's what Charles Blow says. He says, the distrust in the healthcare system is real in the black community. Perhaps most notably, at least in the last century, was the Tuskegee experiments in which hundreds of black men were told they were being treated for syphilis when in fact they were not. They were being observed to see how the disease would progress. Those men suffered from under this experiment for 40 years. Yes, it happened in the 1930s. 30s. Okay, the, the people today who are denying vaccines and are 30 years old, their grandparents were not alive when the Tuskegee experiments happened. The Associated Press exposed the program in 1972, but the black people in the age group most resistant to the vaccine weren't alive when that experiment was conducted, as Charles Blow acknowledges. Indeed, older men, those who might have been alive at that time, are more likely to want the vaccine. Yes, because they're the people who are most vulnerable to COVID, generally. He says, it occurs to me something bigger might be contributing to those numbers and overall mistrust of a government that has repeatedly disappointed, disrespected, and dehumanized black people. Ah, so when black Americans refuse to get the vaccine, then it's because of justified distrust of the government from population that overwhelmingly votes for the party of government. When white people refuse to get the vaccine, it's because they are doing something dumb. The, the media double standard is, is pretty amazing there. It's pretty amazing. Okay, meanwhile, the Biden administration continues to ratchet up. It's a one-way ratchet in terms of how worried we're supposed to be. We're never supposed to get less worried. We're always supposed to get more worried. So now we have Anthony Fauci saying that when he was asked by Brett Baer, so when can the masks come off? Like, you know, we're now rolling out these vaccines over a million a day. People are getting the shot. When can the, when can the masks come off? Fauci's answer is so bizarre and disturbing. Here it is. If we can get, and I have used this as an estimate, it's not definitive, that if we can get 70 to 85% of our population vaccinated and get to what we would hope would be to a degree of herd immunity, which really is an umbrella or a, or a veil of protection against the community, 
where the level of virus is so low, it's not a threat at all, then at that point, you could start thinking in terms of not having to have uniform wearing of masks. Okay, it's that last, it's that last sentence that's insane. When the virus, the risk of it does not exist, then you can take off the mask. Okay, so when we have learned to defeat death generally, you can leave your house. When the risk of the virus does not exist, are you out of your damned mind? We've shut down the entire world economy for a year for a disease that mainly kills people over the age of 70. And you can make the argument that that's a good idea. You can make the argument that's a bad idea. I will tell you what is an absolute crap, idiotic, anti-scientific idea. The idea that the virus is going to have a 0% risk rate, a 0% risk rate, and that's when you can take off the mask. You know when people are going to take off the masks? Seriously? People are going to take off the masks after they get the shots. It is that simple. On a practical level, once people have the shots, they're going to say, I am done with this, and I'm taking off the mask. And I'm not going to stay away from grandma. I'm not going to stay away from parties I want to go to. If grandma's at a particular risk, like a super high risk, maybe if I'm really worried, I might stay away. But generally speaking, people have to live their lives. And this idea that we live in a bubble where risk does not exist and the risk from COVID is going to go down to zero before we all start taking off our masks, nuts, nuts. It's not going to happen. I mean, you can see what's happening in Tampa right now. People who don't believe they're at risk are not wearing masks. People who believe they are at risk are wearing masks. People who believe they're at risk are getting vaccinated. People who believe they're not at risk are not getting vaccinated. Turns out people have individual judgment. But this notion that we're going to cram down mask wearing on people until the end of time when the risk is zero is insane. It's insane. And by the way, counterproductive. Because if I have to wear a mask forever, why would I bother getting vaccinated? Seriously, I'm 37 and I'm healthy. Why bother getting vaccinated? If I have to wear a mask forever and the mask is supposed to protect the people around me from the risk of transmission, I can just skip the shot and wear the mask if we're all going to be wearing masks until the end of time anyway. It's, it's, it's idiotic PR. It is anti-scientific. It is ridiculous. And this guy is the greatest doctor in the land. Oh, I'm sorry. He's the second greatest doctor in the land. We also heard from the very, very scientific Dr. Joe Biden, the greatest of all doctors. It goes in order. Doctor, like from, from least great doctor to greatest doctor. It goes like Jonas Salk, Dr. Pepper, Dr. J, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Joe Biden, who has a doctorate in education from the prestigious University of Delaware after writing a dissertation about the importance of junior college. Here is Dr. Joe Biden informing you how you should live your life when it comes to masking. Hi there, I'm Jill Biden here at the White House with our two dogs, Champ and Major. For a lot of us during this pandemic, our pets have been such a source of joy and comfort and maybe a bark or two on a video conference. The unconditional love from a dog is one of the most beautiful things on earth, and we owe it to them to keep ourselves healthy. So please keep wearing your masks, even when you're out walking your dog. Right, guys? Uh, by the way, if you're walking your dog away from people, don't wear your mask. Seriously, if you're, if you're 100 feet from somebody and you're walking along on a, on a park path, and you're wearing a mask, I don't know why you are. There's no purpose to it. But Dr. Jill says so, and I have been informed that she is the greatest of all doctors. And on the list of doctors, she is the top, top doctor, like in all of human history. Like, she, she's, a, she's a more important figure in medical history than Hippocrates. And just unbelievable importance. Oh, the science, the science. We'll get to more of ta science in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact now is not a great time to go to the auto parts store. In fact, you know when's a great time to go to the auto parts store? Never. Because you wait in line for a really long time, then you get to the front, and then you are having to answer a bunch of very specific questions about your car you probably don't know the answers to. Finally, you tell them what part you need, and they're like, you know what, why don't we order that online for you and then upcharge you? Or you could just order it online yourself and not pay the upcharge by going to Rock Auto. 
RockAuto.com. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? The RockAuto.com catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. They've got amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Head on over to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we saying you helps them, helps us. Go check them out. RockAuto.com. Write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box when you check out. Alrighty. So here's the thing, folks. You've heard me talk about our all-access membership before. But for those of you who have not heard me talk about it, it is our most elite membership base here at The Daily Wire. Our all-access members receive two leftist tiers tumblers when they sign up. Being an all-access member means you get to watch full coverage of all Daily Wire shows, not to mention our feature film and soon-to-be-coming entertainment content. What's more, you get to tune into exclusive all-access live. That's a show featuring a different Daily Wire host every single day where all-access members can chat with us in the chat box. Tonight, for example, you can chat with me personally. People love it. It is fun. It is a kick. We basically just hang out for an hour. I answer all your most intelligent and also stupidest questions. I do impressions. I sing songs. I tell stories about my kids. Today, we want to publicly thank all of our All Access members for their commitment to The Daily Wire to show our appreciation. We are mailing out this. Check this baby out. Woo! We're mailing this special anniversary tumbler for all renewing All Access members this year. So you already have a membership, but you want to renew? Now would be the time to do it. You get this. Look at that. It's beautiful. It's red. And it has our statement of principles on the back. It's got our signatures on the back. Michael Knowles looks like he writes like a child, but everybody else's signature is really, really nice. Mine's up top, of course. Go check out our commemorative leftist tears tumbler. You can add that to the to your cabinet. You can give it to a friend. This is a commemorative part of our five-year journey and a thank you to our All Access members in particular for supporting who we are and what we do. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. <laughs> So that Biden administration, really big on the science. Speaking of which, is Joe Biden with us? We always have to ask this because usually he's kind of not. Like they can kind of get him up and wheel him around weekend at Bernie style for like a short period of time before he uh, before he starts to babble nonsense. So yesterday he was on a COVID call with a registered nurse and uh, he creepily started babbling about how young she looked, which, by the way, if Donald Trump had done that, endless headlines about his sexism and all the rest. But Joe Biden does it and he's just a charming older fellow. Here was, here was Joe Biden saying weird things about a registered nurse. They know that I'm trying to do everything to make this safe and efficient. So, well, support, yeah. Are you a freshman at the university? No, no. <laughs> I'm teasing. You look like no. a freshman. <laughs> She's been a registered nurse for nine years. She's probably 30. So no, she does not look like a 17-year-old girl, Joe Biden. You weirdo, you big old weirdo. <laughs> we only elect weird people to be president now. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. Merka. Well, speaking of the uh, the party of science and the Biden administration's party of science. So um, I'm just going to note here. So Biden's CDC director, right? She came out yesterday and she said, you know, when when Donald Trump was president, he there, there were a few minor there, there were a few covid guidelines, minority of covid guidelines that were politically impacted Rochelle Walensky said that Ann Shukat, the CDC's principal deputy director and career civil servant, is in charge of the review of those regulations. 
She said a vast minority of the public health agency's guidelines on how the nation should respond to the coronavirus pandemic have been, quote unquote, politically swayed by former President Donald Trump's appointees and that the agency is in the process of updating those. So the headline became Biden's CDC director says that a minority of COVID guidelines were politically swayed. I will just remind you that this week, Joe Biden completely undercut his own CDC director because she said schools can reopen without teachers being vaccinated. And then Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, is like, well, she was just speaking in her personal capacity. Obviously, politics no longer matter when it comes to the CDC. They are just following to science. Speaking of which, Nora O'Donnell did ask Joe Biden over the last couple of days, why exactly are the schools closed at, at, at this point? And Joe Biden did not have a good answer. About 20 million American children have not been in the classroom for nearly a year. There's a mental health crisis happening. There really is. Women are dropping out of the workforce. Is this a national emergency? It is a national emergency. It generally is a national emergency. Okay, so it's a national emergency, but Joe Biden, I have a question. If it's such a national emergency, when are we going to reopen? Well, the answer is we're going to reopen when uh, the teachers unions say that we can reopen because Joe Biden does not run his own administration. Do you think it's time for schools to reopen? I think it's time for schools to reopen safely. Safely. Oh, safely. You have to have fewer people in the classroom. You have to have ventilation systems that have been reworked. Our CDC commissioner is going to be coming out with science-based judgment within, I think, as early as Wednesday as the layout, what the minimum requirements are. Really? You guys didn't have this ready? Like months ago? I was informed you were the party of science. By the way, the Trump administration did have reopening guidelines for schools. They did exist. So I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Schools in Florida, they never closed. Schools in Europe, many of those never closed. Schools in Israel, largely never closed. All over, all over the world, particularly for elementary school children, the risk of transmission in elementary schools is extraordinarily low. Very, very low. And yet here you still have this guy because he's in hock to the teachers unions pretending that he's speaking on behalf of the science. It's just a lie. Who's he really speaking on behalf of? Randy Weingarten and the American Federation of Teachers. There are a lot of great teachers out there, teachers who want to be in school, teachers who are doing a great job for kids. And then there are the teachers unions, which are bags of flaming garbage and should be illegal if they are public, if they are public sector unions. They should be illegal. It is ridiculous. The teachers are allowed to bargain against the interests of students and taxpayers. And, and the, the fat cats at the top are earning million dollar salaries and building giant monuments to themselves in Washington, D.C. in order to, prevent, to prevent children from learning are doing nobody any favors. The New York Times, nonetheless, has a, uh, has a SOP piece on Randy Weingarten from, uh, from just the other day, from yesterday, talking about how she is going to work with Joe Biden to reopen schools, Randy Weingarten. Yeah, sure she is. Teachers, said Ms. Weingarten, have good reasons to be anxious. They don't trust soap and running water will always be available in schools because sometimes they haven't been. They don't trust that extra funding will materialize for masks, hand sanitizer, and nurses because in so many other years, budgets were cut. Oh, probably it's that. It can't just be that these unions are taking advantage of a really bad situation in order to bargain for more things. By the way, undercutting the demand for their services. The number of people who are opting for homeschooling is at record rates, record rates. But one of the things that we have to understand about what is going on right now is that in order to gin up panic, ginning up panic about COVID is largely at this point when vaccines are right around the corner for millions of Americans, millions of Americans already had them. Ginning up panic is all about pushing the concomitant political agenda, more power, to the teachers' unions, and more spending. So you've got Jen Psaki over at the White House saying it's time to roll out these giant economic plans, $1.9 trillion in stimulus. Now, again, recognize that by most economic standards, people believe that the economic spending shortfall due to COVID this year is going to be about $450 billion. 
So they're spending about four times that amount of money in order to, quote unquote, rectify the breach. Okay, and and in, in order to do this, they're now claiming that they also want to kill a bunch of jobs. So Jen Psaki was specifically asked about fossil fuel workers because one of the things that Joe Biden has been pushing in the middle of a, of a pandemic is new restrictions on fossil fuel development and fracking. And Jen Psaki was asked about that. She was asked, okay, so you want a bunch of people, Keystone XL, you want a bunch of people to lose their jobs in the middle of a pandemic. And her answer was, how dare you, sir? So much, how refreshing, so much transparency and factual accuracy coming from Jen Psaki. When is it that the Biden administration is going to let the thousands of uh, fossil fuel industry workers, whether it's pipeline workers or construction workers, who are either out of work or will soon be out of work because of a Biden EO, uh, when it is and where it is that they can go for their green job? And that is something the administration has promised. Uh, there is now a gap. So I'm just curious when that happens, when those people can count on that. Well, I'd certainly welcome you to present your data of all the thousands and thousands of people who uh, won't be getting a green job. Maybe next time you're here, you can present that. What the hell does that mean? Well, uh, seriously, what he's asking you. That's the question, lady. Can you show anybody who's gotten a green job? Because you keep saying that when somebody is laid off from a fracking job, when somebody loses their job in the Keystone XL pipeline, don't worry, they'll get a green job. And Ducey's like, okay, so can you name them? Like, who got a green job? And she's like, maybe you can tell me who got a green job. What? I, I mean, I can tell you all the people who just lost their jobs at Keystone XL. We can look up their names and we can ask them if they are now working on windmills. That is a possibility. Okay, but that's not the only great Biden economic plan that is going to be propped on the back of COVID. She says that Joe Biden wants to make sure that in this $1.9 trillion package, the national minimum wage is raised to $15. Where did they come up with 15 bucks? Out of Shama Sawant's butt. Okay, Shama Sawant is a socialist from Seattle. She's been preaching $15 minimum wage in Seattle. Seattle, you may have noticed, is not Birmingham, Alabama. In fact, they are two very, very different places. And $15 minimum wage drove a lot of small businesses out of business in Seattle. Here was Jen Psaki, however, saying it is vital in the middle of a pandemic with, with unemployment at extraordinary rates for us to raise the minimum wage to throw people out of work and create lower margins for businesses to operate. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. The president is remains firmly committed to raising the minimum wage to $15. That's why he put it in his first legislative proposal. And he doesn't he believes that any American who is working a full time job trying to make ends meet should not be at the poverty level. And it's important to him uh, that the minimum wage uh, is raised. OK, by the way, just legislating that somebody be paid more money does not mean that they will actually be paid more money. Many of those people, their minimum wage will now be zero because they will be laid off or people are just going to put a bunch of self checkout lines in grocery stores, which is what Kroger is going to do. They're now experimenting with getting rid of all checkout specialists, like all of them. And they're just going to put machines in place. By the way, if you're not worried about any of this, Anthony Pompliano, the investor, he tweeted out within the last 12 months, we've increased the U.S. dollar supply by 40 percent, by 40 percent. There will be consequences for that sort of stuff. OK, meanwhile, the culture wars continue apace. So if you think that things weren't falling apart fast enough, the culture wars definitely continue apace. The New York Times is very angry at the Super Bowl. So every, every time there's a Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is not sufficiently woke, people get super ticked off. So Ken Belson has a long piece of the New York Times about the evils of the Super Bowl. He says, the NFL likes to project power and precision. Sideline catches are scrutinized with zoom lenses. First downs are measured in inches. Air Force jets fly over stadiums just as the Star Spangled Banner reaches its peak. But when it comes to topics like race, health, and safety, the league's certainty dissolves into a series of mixed messages. That was the case on Sunday at the Super Bowl, the NFL's crowning game, typically watched by about 100 million viewers in the United States. 
The championship game provides the league a massive platform each year to promote itself as America's corporate do-gooder with the best interests of its enormous fan base at heart. That was harder to do this year. On Sunday, the NFL trumpeted its support for the fight against social injustice. The national anthem was performed by two musicians, one black and one white. The poet Amanda Gorman, who wowed the country with her recitation at President Biden's inauguration, read an ode to three honorary captains. It was it was fine. I was, I mean, I was like, eh, okay. The TV announcer spoke often of the work that the league and players have done to battle racial inequities. Yet, moments later, says the New York Times, when the Kansas City Chiefs took the field, the NFL played a recording in the reduced capacity stadium of the made-up war cry that is a team custom. The prompts got fans to swing their arms in a tomahawk chop, an act many find disrespectful and a perpetuation of racist stereotypes of the nation's first people. Wow. I mean, just the brutality of the NFL. Brutal. Plus, no one mentioned Colin Kaepernick, which, I mean, frankly, I have to admit, like Matt Walsh, I was appalled that no one mentioned Colin Kaepernick because, yes, Tom Brady cemented his status as the greatest quarterback ever to play football, but he was the second greatest quarterback to ever play football because we all know that the true greatest is the person who has been denied a slot in the NFL for years after backing up the immortal Blaine Gabbard in San Francisco, Colin Kaepernick. We needed more Colin Kaepernick talk. We needed more of that. I mean, after all, Mariah Carey did tweet out, happy Colin Kaepernick Appreciation Day. There was no talk, says the New York Times, of the league's abysmal record hiring people of color as head coaches and general managers, or even as television cameras showed, the Chiefs' successful offensive coordinator, Eric Binemy, who is black, and been unable to land a head coaching position in multiple hiring cycles. Before the game, CBS Sports showed a segment that featured Viola Davis saluting Kenny Washington, a black player who in 1946 reintegrated the NFL, which had an unofficial color barrier for 13 years, but... There was no discussion of a lawsuit brought by two former NFL players who accused the league of rigging the concussion settlement. Well, I mean, that, probably that's what they should have led with at the Super Bowl. You know, as, as a piece of marketing, probably they should have led with also we're secret racists. I will say the NFL did its best to buy into woke nonsense. So the NFL ran a commercial after the end of the, after the, end of the um, Super Bowl in which it just basically poured out a bunch of woke slogans. So it showed one of the referees, one of the female referees wearing a hat that said end racism. That hat, by the way, did end racism. In the history books, it will go down that in 2021, racism was ended by the hat of an NFL referee. So lots of racism being ended right here. Here is the NFL ad promising to end. They promised they were going to spend $250 million to end systemic racism. $250 million to end systemic racism. Uh, What an amazing contribution by the NFL. In fact, I think the NFL has contributed hundreds of millions of dollars to quote-unquote ending systemic racism considering a huge percentage of the league's players are black and people in the league are being paid an exorbitant amount of money far above the average American. So that seems like that's a good way to end systemic racism. Nonetheless, here is the NFL pledging to do more because corporate wokeness is now a thing, gang. To fulfill the promise of one nation to be part of the solution, be part of the change, to try harder, Show up, dive in, and stay at it. Wow, amazing. Amazing, by the way. I'll tell you what is true. In this, and they've got people kneeling and said, while the season is over, while the season is over, the fight isn't. Ooh, yes, yes. And it's got people raising the, the black power fist and all of this. Okay, um, our fight for social justice is not. So in any case, the NFL is doing its best to do the corporate wokeness routine, but nothing is enough for the New York Times. Here's the reality. The reason people watch the Super Bowl for many, many, many people, including me, the only game I watched all season was the Super Bowl. And maybe they did the wokeness routine in the commercials. I can tell you in the stadium, it was not really a thing. In the stadium, the NFL really did not play that stuff up. And they didn't play that stuff up because guess what? When you call the American system 
systemically racist, and suggest that America is a deeply offensive place, and suggest that NFL players are victimized by systemic racism on a regular basis, most people sense the bullcrap in that. Yet the, the culture wars continue apace. Meanwhile, Google is running ads. You, you want to talk about systemic racism? Google is now running ads, touting their ability to search for black-owned businesses. Now imagine for just a second that Google touted the ability to search for white-owned businesses. Do you think that'd be something they'd be championing? I'm seeing this on Amazon also right now. If you go to Amazon, they will try to link you to black-owned businesses because it's Black History Month. That's racist. Just in its purest form, it is racist to suggest that you should shop at a business because of the skin color of its owner. That is a racist thing. And yet this is something that all of corporate America is now buying into, including the social media bros who are, who are disseminating their own information and policing how dissemination of information actually works. Here was Google's ad touting the fact that you can now search for who owns a business by race, unironically believing that they are fighting racism in the process. Somebody typing in black-owned restaurant, Memphis. Oh, look at that. It popped up. Good morning. The four-way is a destination place. Right here between these walls is a lot of history. To have a place where you have dignity and belong, that's the legacy of the four-way. Identifies as black-owned. I do like identifies as black-owned is what pops up because that means they're not actually checking. (laughs) <laughs> that's what it means when they say identifies not black owned identifies as black owned means that somebody checked that box that it's a black owned business um, but I also love the implication which is that black owned businesses are a place where black people belong but apparently white owned businesses are not I mean that, that's what's said in that in that commercial and this is what you saw during the BLM riots by the way is you saw people we saw it in LA we saw people who were boarding up their businesses and writing on the on the plywood black owned business which is the most racist Passover story ever, basically. I was like, oh, maybe they will pass over my store if I just write black-owned business on the front of the store. They're only going to target people who are not of a particular race. The fact that corporate America has, has, like, where's the unit? Is this unity? Really, is that unity? I think people should patronize black-owned businesses and white-owned businesses and Asian-owned businesses. In fact, I think people should patronize all of the businesses that they think are good. That's pretty much it. That is my, is that standard terrible? It seems like a, a pretty good standard to me. And yet we have an entire corporate infrastructure that is devoted to the idea of of a racial segregation that we were supposed to abhor and should abhor. Pretty impressive stuff. Meanwhile, turmoil continues inside the newsroom over at the New York Times. A great piece over at the Washington Free Beacon by Aaron Sibarium. We talked yesterday about this story from the New York Times. When you talk about the complete takeover of institutions by the woke culture, The New York Times has been taken over. It's been destroyed. Nicole Hannah-Jones is the de facto editor over there. As I said yesterday, Nicole Hannah-Jones is not a journalist. She's an activist and she's a bad person. And Nicole Hannah-Jones basically just got a man fired for having said the N-word in the context of explaining a story in which the N-word was the key part. By the way, she has tweeted out using the N-word before herself, right, in discussing a story, as we'll see. So Aaron Tiberium writes this over at the Washington Free Beacon. The resignation of star New York Times science writer Donald McNeil Jr., has sparked a furious back and forth among Times staffers, many of whom are outraged over the gray lady's handling of his departure. The Washington Free Beacon reviewed a series of postings to a Facebook group for current and former Times staffers, where a tense debate is unfolding over McNeil's exit. One camp asserts that his dismissal was justified. Another asserts it sets a troubling precedent, which the New York Times Union should have done more to prevent. 
Whatever happened to the notion of worker solidarity, to giving a fellow worker the benefit of the doubt, asked Stephen Greenhouse, who spent three decades covering labor issues for The New York Times. Why didn't the News Guild, that's the union, do far more to defend and protect the job of a longtime Times employee, one who at times did tireless heroic work on behalf of the Guild to help improve pay and conditions for all New York Times employees? Times crossword columnist Deb Amlin accused Greenhouse of an, exclu- of an excessive focus on the, on the perpetrator, arguing that he and others should shift their attention to the people McNeil had harmed. By the way, there's no evidence that McNeil actually harmed anybody. He was literally asked a question about whether a person in high school should be canceled for at 12 using the N-word. And he said, was the person saying bleep in the context of a rap song or not? That is the sin that he was fired for, essentially. When asked about this, Deb Amlin said, why is the focus on discussions like this almost always on the perpetrator's life and not those who are harmed by his actions? McNeil's ouster came nearly two years after the incident that precipitated it. While chaperoning high school students on a pricey trip to Peru, the science reporter responded to a question from a student about whether one of her classmates should have been suspended for using the N-word. In the process, he uttered the offending syllables himself. An internal Times investigation found his judgment wanting, but stopped short of firing him. Only after the Daily Beast published an account of the incident, thrusting it into the public realm for the first time, was McNeil pushed out. We do not tolerate racist language regardless of intent, said Dean Baquette. We talked about this yesterday. What an absurd standard that is. And we're not going to look to the intent of language. If you say a racial slur to say the word bleep is bad and evil, if you say that, but you say the word, that's racist language regardless of intent, which is nuts, nuts. By the way, the, the pipeline for the Daily Beast, this is how the Daily Beast works, obviously. They have, a, they have a reporter over there named Maxwell Tanny. Whenever somebody in the media, a woke staffer gets mad, they email Maxwell Tanny. Maxwell Tanny then runs a piece about how the woke staffers are mad. The editors at the offending paper start start prostrating themselves before the woke staffers, and then the woke staffers stomp on their neck. That's the way this process works. McNeil's resignation on Friday and Baquette's post hoc explanation that intent doesn't matter renewed the bitter debate among staff with reporters warring with each other in public and private, says the Free Beacon. A Times spokeswoman muddied the waters further on Sunday, telling the Free Beacon that racial epithets had no, quote, place in the newspaper. The paper, as the Free Beacon notes, printed the same epithet last week in a magazine profile of Princeton Classics professor Don L. Padilla Peralta. Even in ironic or self-mocking quotations about a speaker's own group, in rap lyrics, for example, their use erodes the worthy inhibition against brutality in public discourse, said Danielle Rhodes-Ha. That was the spokesperson for the paper. She declined to say if that policy extends to social media, where other New York Times writers, including Nicole Hannah-Jones and Asted Herndon, have quoted the slur. So, for example, back in 2016, Hannah-Jones wrote, Larry Wilmore did not say you did it, my N-word. She said there's a a linguistic difference between the N-word with an E-R at the end and the N-word with an A at the end. So the Washington Free Beacon asked Hannah Jones whether intent made a difference in her case, because, of course, this is the standard she's been pushing. Racist language doesn't require intent. If you say the N-word, it is racist. You ought to be fired. She responded by posting the reporter's inquiry, including his cell phone number on Twitter, in direct violation of the website's terms of service. You think she's going to be suspended? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Greenhouse argued staffers who went after McNeil, including Hannah Jones and race reporter John Elligan, had their priorities backward. Many of them, he wrote, were, quote, far more willing to sympathize with these privileged 15 and 16-year-olds than with a longtime colleague who has done much great work for the Times over the years. When one Times reporter posted a statement from a nonprofit literary organization called Penn, calling McNeil's ouster chilling, Elligan, the race reporter, responded by accusing him of racism, quote, you often wonder what your white colleagues who are lovely to your face are actually thinking or saying about you or people like you behind your back. What if they just think that you're a schmuck? You personally, not people like you in terms of race, but maybe like you and people who act like you are schmucks. How about that? Because you are. 
Apparently, according to the Free Beacon, the lack of clear standards has generated frustration internally. I don't think anybody feels like we have any clarity about what, about what happened with this incident or other alleged incidents, said one New York Times reporter. We demand transparency of other people. We don't have it in our own processes, but this is the point. When it comes to the woke, there is no standard to meet. You understand? There's no standard at all. There is no neutral standard. The point is the changing standard. The point is that you can do everything right and still have it come back and bite you directly on the ass. That is the standard. The standard is, will you do all the things they want you to do at precisely the time they want you to do it? And will you atone when they demand atonement? And then will they continue to hold it over your head? And if they do, you need more atonement. That is the standard. Because this has nothing to do with ideological consistency or even a consistent philosophy. All this has to do with is sheer power. Nicole Hannah-Jones has it at the New York Times and nobody who's honest at the New York Times does. It is that simple. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of the Ben Shapiro Show coming up soon. The Matt Walsh Show airing at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2021. A mother confesses that she has intentionally traumatized her young children over COVID. A school system in Maryland hopes to make its students safer by defunding the school resource officers. And the mayor of Tampa pledges to hunt down anyone who celebrated the Super Bowl without a mask. All that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 